the new Nomos podcast is a call. A call for a new beginning. A call for the new men and the new women that yearn to be truly free. A call for us to fulfill our destiny. A call for a new Nomos on the earth. Welcome to the New Nomos Podcast. I'm Abdallah Dutton, inviting you to join me on this journey of discovery to define what the New Nomos is and what we need to get there. A few weeks ago, I was introduced to Feridun Mujaddidi. He's a community leader, entrepreneur, and scholar with a speciality on Rumi and the great Farsi poets. And so I was excited to explore the life of Rumi and his works in a little bit more detail. But of course, for a man who was so vast, I wouldn't even say that this episode is scratching at the surface. With that said, it cuts between the life of Rumi, how Ustad Feridun came to fall in love with poetry, and in particular the works of Rumi, all alongside snippets of Rumi's poetry recited in the Farsi. So, without further ado, I present to you episode 29, A Little Touch of Rumi in the Night. Maulana Rumi was born in Balkh, Afghanistan, uh, in uh, 1207, during the uh, you know just the beginning of the Mongol invasion, uh, towards coming towards Persia in a few years, so by the time he was twelve, he and his father, uh, his mom, and his uh, uh, sister and the family left uh, from Balkh to uh, to make the pilgrimage. So they went from uh, from Balkh to what is modern day. Persia, which was back then, it was the Khorasan. Mm. And they went through uh, Nishapur, where they met some of the great scholars, like Attar Nishapuri, the great uh, Persian poet, who really inspired Mawlana Rumi and um, has a lot of poem in, his, in the praise of Attar. And then from there, uh, they went to Iraq and then Damascus, and then they ended up uh, in, in uh, doing the pilgrimage in Hijaz, what is modern-day Saudi Arabia. Uh, and then after the pilgrimage, they went to a place called Karaman, and that's where they actually resided, which is in Turkey. They stayed there for a while until Maulana was about 18 years old. Rumi's mother actually dies in Karaman. And then they moved from Karaman to what's uh, known, uh, known as Konya now. Uh, Konya was actually the capital in that time, the capital of the Seljuk Empire. Uh, people who watched the Earthago show in that show, they, they do talk about, you know, the, the empire being in Konya uh, of the Saljuk, uh, which was runs about the same era of Mawlana Rumi. So they end up in, in Konya because, uh, because of Mawlana Rumi's father. His father was a very unique uh, type of human being. He was kind of like, he had the, this encyclopedic uh, memory and an amazing scholar. Like he, he, they used to call him, like what we have in the modern day, we have Sheikh al the Sheikh mm-hmm. of the scholars. 
uh, he was called Sultan al-Ulama, the Sultan of the scholars, that mm-hmm. his dars was not just for the general public, but a lot of the scholars would come and and and, uh, and study under him. And this is based on a, uh, the, the title that was given to him. Many of the scholars there, and, and one night they had this dream that he is the Sultan of the scholars, and they were talking. But he, he was just, a, 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 for me personally, one of the things really struck me about Mulana Rumi, uh, that he was a genius young man. Like he, he, was, he was a gifted, uh, first-rate intellect, uh, just gifted human being. Uh, but one of, the, one of the things that he had, that had he not have that with him, I don't think that he would become who he is, was his father. Because to have a scholar like uh, Bahauddin, Sultan Bahauddin, Bahauddin, he wasn't just a scholar. Imagine at a time that libraries are scarce, dictionaries are like, uh, you have to hand copy them. Uh, books are all hand copied. It's not like we don't have printing press and where a book is printed in thousands of copies or millions of copies. Each one is handwritten, each book. At that time, to have somebody who has all these books memorized and a master of the Arabic language, a master of Persian language, and in any question he has, you can just ask him. It's kind of like having like an encyclopedia of knowledge traveling with him all the time. So that was a really one of the great advantage of Mawlana Rumi that he had a father like that who could just give him whatever uh, question he had, he could answer it for him and, and give him the, the resources. So they ended up in, in, in Konya. Uh, there was a, the amazing Khalifa at that time, Al-Adin Kikabad, who, uh, who was really... Uh, a beautiful man who loved knowledge, who loved scholars and, and loved the dean. So he invited uh, Maulana Rumi's father to come to Konya and stay there and become the head of the, the Saljuk Empire's chair of ed- education. And so he goes uh, there and they really honor him. And, uh, and this is one of the things that people don't understand that our ulama, they always worked with the sultans. Because they knew if the sultans were righteous and good, then everybody under them would feel at peace and at ease. But if the sultans are oppressors and the sultans are ignorant, then everybody, the whole ummah would suffer from them. So they actually work with them because the, the potential of them being good is, is, is uh, you know, just that uh, idea that they can influence them. They didn't want to throw that away. So he worked with them in... in um, and then they built that beautiful mosque in Konya, Aladdin Kikabad Mosque. Those who have been have gone to Konya, uh, usually when I take the, the journey to Konya with the group, um, we go to Maulana Rumi first, and then we go walk to Shams, and then we walk to Aladdin Kikabad Mosque. It's, it's all in one road, but it's just a beautiful mosque he built. One, one of the love that he had for the deen. And this is where the subtleties of Islam really struck you. Like uh, he got out of soil this pure, beautiful soil and brought it in the city center and then built this high platform from the dirt and then said, build a mosque on top of it. So now when you go, you take like easily like 50, 60 steps to get to the top and then there's the mosque. Just elevating the house of God, just having that love and that adab with the mosque. It has to be above the city, above everybody who is living in the city. Uh, 
Uh, Aladdin Kik about basically, uh, he he told the Maulana Rumi's father that whatever you want, we will do. Just stay here, teach, tell us what to do, and that's what he did. And Maulana, when he, he when he turned twenty five, he his father died and he's buried there in in, in Konya, uh, right next to where Maulana Rumi is buried. Uh, so then, at age twenty five, he becomes the chair of Islamic education. Uh, of the Seljuk Empire. So it was not a hereditary uh, maqam that they give him, oh, your father was there, now you take it. No, it was a qualitative maqam. It was a maqam based on qualification. So he actually was the most qualified person to, to have this job. So just to put it in perspective, here's a young man, 25 years old, and a lot of 25 years old, uh, nowadays they're, they're they're playing like video games and just you know just chilling right uh 25 years old he becomes the he become the chair of education of an empire of islam not of a university of a college of a mosque of a, of the muslim world so he was really a, a you know one of the unique characters in terms of just the amount of knowledge he had so when did you f first come across Rumi? You know, I we grew up and I, you know, Avana's son was kind of like uh, uh, one of the the uh, national pastime of Afghanistan is poetry. It's like there's not a household that there's not books of poetry that some people don't have hundreds of lines memorized. That you know, like they didn't they use a poem on a regular like. You, you have a cup of tea, and if it tastes good, you have a line of poetry for it. If it doesn't <laughs> taste good, you have a line of poetry for it. You have a proverb for a good food. You have a proverb for the guy who there's the, the language is just filled with proverbs and poetry. So it's constantly used, and that becomes kind of like the fabric of, of your life where these things, you know, you just you see the wisdom in the poetry. So from a young age. You see the wisdom in poetry. Uh, I remember, uh, uh, you know, uh, when when playing chess, uh, you know, when we were like, I was a little kid, and then like my brothers and they were all play, they would play chess because this is one of the games that we they they play in Afghanistan. Uh, seriously, they play it, uh, and 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 then there's all these stories about chess that we used to memorize and poems, and then we sort of recite those poems as a cheat notes. To, to, to our friends or our brothers. So they would know in the poem, I'm saying, hey, move the horse and don't, you know, it's kind of like amazing stuff that you just learn. It's like, should he move the horse? And then you have a poem for that. Don't move the horse because you're going to lose, da, da, da. But it's a poem that the other person can't say they cheated. Say, hey, I just recited a poem, right? Uh, so there are a lot of stuff like that that that, that you grew up with. and But, you know, for me, uh, I honestly didn't know, like, what it meant. I only saw the form of the poetry and it was really attractive. The form was very beautiful. Um, I'll give you an example. One of my favorite poems from the Diwana Shams uh, of Mawlana Rumi is called Man Ghulam Qamaram. Qamar is a name, you know, in Persia they call it Qamar Gul. There's a, there's a famous name, like people name their daughters like Qamar, Qamar Gul or Kamar John, or you know, it's, it's, it's a name. It's a, mm -hmm. And everybody thinks that this is about a girl named Kamar. Like that's that's the poem. 
من غلام قمرم غیر قمر هیچ مگو پیشی من جو سخن شم و شکر هیچ مگو رومی سیز I'm the slave of قمر I don't want to hear any story about anybody except my قمر because the story of قمر is like sweet like sugar and it's illuminated like the candle it you know it brightened my day and it sweetened my mouth just to hear the story of qamar right mm-hmm. and then he has this whole dialogue with love about qamar the whole dialogue is he's talking to love right and then dush divana shudam ishq mara did o begoft amadam naramazan jamam dar hich magu in room he says i went mad with the love of this qamar And I didn't know what to do. I was losing my sanity. And then love came to the rescue. They said, I'm here. Relax. Don't go mad. Don't rip your clothes. Don't go crazy. I'm here. Relax. Just don't say anything. Because one of the reasons why this poem, each line ends with don't say anything, because there's no way you can articulate love. It's impossible. because love is beyond articulation is beyond words is beyond as love is when you love is when you're standing in front of the beloved and you don't have anything to say and yet thousands of books are just printed from your looks mm. just it's just pouring from your face lines of poetry and books just but you can't articulate it right because the silence of lovers is libraries of books of love mm. so this is where i was like who's this qamar like i wanted to know who qamar is and the maulana rumi's qamar because i read this poem and i'm like melting down and i'm like okay who's this qamar and now i get to this line what he says goftam in ruhi farishta ast ajab Yo, Basharas. I said, is this Kamara of mine? Is this Kamara angel or a human? And I have to think about, why would he say that? Is this Kamara a human or an angel? And then love answers it. Listen, this one that you fell in love with is beyond human and angels. And then I realized he's in love with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and that's one of his name. He's like the full moon. Mm. That's the whole poem. And then it all started making sense. I'm like, oh my God, he's he's in love with the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And who is love that's answering him? It's Allah that's answering his questions. Mm. Allah is the one. That, I'm here. I'm with you. Allah is with you all the time. I will make this happen for you. You fell in love with my beloved. Don't worry. You're on the right path. You haven't lost your sanity. You're good. You haven't lost your sanity. And then this is when he said, you know, because when Shams came into his life, to Mawlana Rumi's life, Rumi thought that everything that he knew up to now is flipped upside down. Right? گفتم این چیست بگو زیر و زبر خواهم شد he said oh shams what just happened to me you flipped me upside down what just happened i got flipped upside down 
گفت می باش چنین زیر و زبر هیچ مگو and then the answer comes he said no 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 you were living your entire life upside down i just turned you right side up mm. but don't say anything don't say a word mm. stay like this if you remain like this everything will be perfect it might look fuzzy at the beginning because of your previous life but now if you say that you will see that everything is perfectly as they are right so a lot of these poetry is in the love of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam love of allah and in the in the love of the it's the divine love but as we grew up we start understanding this but as little kids memorizing these age 5 and 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 we actually thought it was about girls and it was about music and it was about dancing about sama and about but then we realized that they're all symbolism and those symbolism you know it unveils itself as you start learning about life as you start reading and as you get, start you know aging with life Mm. But isn't that I mean I find that a lot of Rumi is understood in the west in that way Yes and no and uh, honestly I I think that there are a lot of people like Anne-Marie Schmel the, the great German translator of of Rumi and and really someone that I think she was a master of Mulana Rumi in the past century uh, I, I don't think anybody can even come close to her understanding cuz she she spoke her farsi was just she was at a very high level of of mm. uh, farsi and english english uh, german and arabic and in urdu so she was fluent in all five languages and more languages but those are the one that she used for mostly the urdu the farsi she did a she did a nice uh, book on iqbal as well and uh, in in uh, quite a few books on shams and rumi translated a lot of works and I'm in line with Anne-Marie Schmel school so of 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 Mawlana Rumi. Uh I I think that she got it uh the meaning Nicholson got it um a lot of people got it but but what what's what we are seeing a lot of, you know people don't read like you know Nicholson because oh it's too academic and dry yeah it is academic it is dry but he tried it, he he tried very hard to uh to get the the, the meanings uh translated uh into this mm-hmm. these verses uh but a lot of the people who use like Colin Barks and Colin Barks is great I I I love Colin Barks and and he has done a great service for Islam uh for the Muslims that no way we could have done it I don't think that a thousand of us could have done what Colin Barks has done uh he he is he is popularized Rumi that everybody knows him in the west and Allah just give that tawfiq to people and in is a man of mysteries and secrets so uh, Allah preserve him and give him tawfiq to do more khidma uh but i think a lot of the people because the level of people in the west that most of the stuff that we see is through social media many of the social media are age 12 to like 20 that's that's mm-hmm. most of, you know tiktok is is all under age of 15 most of them like mm-hmm. literally is designed for kids under the age of 15 the whole thing uh, yeah you do have some people the older people here and there but we're talking about you know probably like 70% of them are under the age of 15 so uh, instagram the same thing it's all young people right uh, so social media starts with young people 
right? But, you know, as the older people get on social media, the young people leave, like everybody, all the youngsters were on Facebook. And then all these old people started learning about Facebook. They came to Facebook, all the youngsters, they left on Instagram. And then all <laughs> the older people, they followed them on Instagram, and then they left a snap. Snapchat. And they, they learn, now they're leaving to TikTok. So the, it's social media is is a uh, is a young person's life, right? That's where that's where the society has got all these young people, uh, you know, occupied with social media. Uh, and so for them, if you have a if you have aligned with all these meanings and symbolism, they can't understand. Like they know what are you talking about? It's a fifteen year old kid. When I was fifteen. If you would have told me all this, I said, man, you, you, you're crazy. No, no, it's about, it's about this girl. It's not about, what are you talking about? No, either, why, why can't you say, if it was about the Prophet, why could he say Muhammad? Why could you mention his name? You know, but it's symbolism, brother. No, no, come on, man. That's how I, I mean, as, as a, if I was, when I was like, I remember 13, 14, I, I, I used to read this, these lines and I always thought it was about a girl. I never thought it was about Prophet. So, but uh, but the thing is that a lot of these people they is they only can understand you know those little quotes. Uh, you know, we only put a little quote on the on the, on the Instagram. Uh, you know, Rumi said that that which you're seeking is seeking you. That, that, they understand that, right? But if you do a commentary on that, they wouldn't understand it. So for me, it's kind of like, it's good because Rumi is a household name. Uh, you know, Muhammad Jalaluddin. People say, I love Rumi. They love a guy named Muhammad Jalaluddin. So, which is nice. Mm. And then uh, <laughs> and then it gets it ready for the future that we should, as Muslims, do more commentaries in English. Where when they're ready, when this 15, 16-year-old who are coding you know, putting the, the, you know, a little meme or this and that on, on social media. Then when they're in college, they're like, well, what does that really mean? Then when the symbolism comes, we have something for them uh, that they can, they can uh, actually say, oh, this is what it means. Okay. Uh, so they, they, they plot the, the, the land for us, right. And planted the seed. All we have to do is water it. That's all. And, and it will grow. Beautiful. Beautiful. You mentioned uh, Rumi's meeting with Shamsa Tabriz and putting him the right way up. At what point in his life did they meet? So uh, Shamsa Tabriz came into Mawlana Rumi's life when, when, when Mawlana Rumi was 38 years old. And during that time, he went through a lot. Obviously, he lost his mom, he lost his dad. Uh, he, then he became uh, the chair of the uh, Islamic education of Saljuk Empire at age 25. And then at age about 20, uh, you know, 28, 29, he, uh, he meets uh, Tarmizi, who was a really, these are people who, you know, in, in everybody's life, you have people that come and change your life. It's, but all of the changes are getting you to get ready for the big change, right? It's kind of like you start, you know, Shaban comes and you start fasting a day here, a day there to get ready for Ramadan, right? You're fasting, but you're not fasting like Ramadan 30 days in a row, 29 days. So these are all to get us ready, right? Uh, I, a lot of these people, like his father was there to get him ready for the Shams. His 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 mom, his father, and then Nuseiba, the maid servant that they had, who had a big impact on Mawlana Rumi in, in, in Balkh. Uh, all of them were like these little teachers that came in and kind of molded him and got him ready. 
to this great meeting uh, with Shamsuddin Tabrizi. So uh, when Muhaqiq uh, uh, Tarmizi comes, uh, uh, Shamsuddin Tabrizi and Muhaqiq Tarmizi is two different, two different uh, names and people. Muhaqiq Tarmizi was the student of Mawlana Rumi's father who remained in Balkh when they moved. When Mawlana Rumi and his father left Persia, the uh, army of Genghis Khan has reached Persia and start just taking over. From Nishapur, they killed uh, one of the teachers that, that Mawlana Rumi met, uh, Fariduddin Attar. So they just went through and they got to Balkh and they slaughtered a lot of people in Balkh. So Muhaqiq Tarmizi was on a survival of the of the Balkh massacre. Bahadim Walad, uh, Mawlana Rumi's father was the head of the Saljuk Empire's chair of education. Uh, obviously, this word goes around the world that, okay, the chair of education is so-and-so. So he finds out about it, and he sets out on a journey to go to see his, to be with his sheikh. And so he comes to per he comes to, uh, to Konya, and then when he arrives there, um, uh, it's a couple of years after uh, the death of, uh, of Mawlana Rumi's father. So he says, well, my sheikh, let's say he passed, passed away. So in any case, he comes and then he, uh, he says to Mawlana Rumi, and this is one of the, we have a, a tradition in Islam and, and within the, 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 the Persian uh, and, and, the, and the Indians and the Arabs, they all have it. It's, it's a concept of wafa, this, this faithfulness. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the concept of amana, uh, that the, the if you give somebody a trust, they would die keeping that trust, making sure it's secure and protected, in order to return back to you. And the people have lost their lives protecting other people's wealth, right? So he comes in and he said, "Listen, um, I came to study with my teacher, but he's not here. But I want to give you what I learned from him." because it was an amana from him to me, so I want to pass it back to you. So he starts teaching him everything that he learned from his father. But he sees that this man is not an ordinary person. He's way ahead of the curve. And his, his, his intellect worked much faster. So he said, whoa, 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 whoa. After, after uh, uh, you know, a couple of years with him, he, he sends him. He said, you have to go to Damascus and study there. This is not a place for you. You got to get out. Now, this is where this is where Mawlana Rumi is separated from everybody else. Now, imagine this. You're the chair of Islamic education, not chair of Azhar or Qarwiyin or, you know, uh, Stanford or Berkeley. No, the chair of Islamic education of the Muslim world. Mm. Right? So you're the most learned person on the planet. Everybody's coming to you. They say his classes, people used to pay money so other people leave so they can take their spot and sit in the class. And this oh. is thousands of people. And I've been in that hall where he teaches class at the Aladdin Kirabad Mosque. And there are thousands of people fit in this hall. They said it was jam-packed. People used to come from other nations to sit at Rumi's classes. This is before Shams Tabriz because it was just an amazing intellect, you know, aqidah, fiqh, grammar, poetry, whatever language, whatever science there was, he was a master of it. Mm. So here's his father's student tells him, no, no, no you got to go to Damascus and learn. He doesn't say, what are you talking about me? 
Like, it's humiliating. I'm the chair of Islamic education of the Muslim world. You want me to go, who am I going to learn from? I'm like supposed to be the most learned person. He doesn't ask that question. He says that you're a student of my father. You're just like my father. Whatever you say, I'll do. So he sets out on this journey and goes to Damascus. And Damascus was a safe heaven of all of the, uh, all of the scholars because Iraq was destroyed. Persia was destroyed. Nishapur was destroyed. Balkh was destroyed. All of these center of learning, Baghdad was, everybody fled and they all went to uh, Halab. They were all there. So you had scholars of grammar, scholars of Aqidah, scholars of, uh, you know, Sarf and now and Persian literature and, and, you know, any science that you can think about, Hadith and Quran and Tafsir, they were all there. So he sent him to the hub, right, just to take everything. So he spent, uh, you know, a few years in, in Halab, and he basically took the knowledge of all these masters, and then he came back. And then so when he came back, that's when Shams al-Tabriz came in. So Mawlana Rumi was about 38 years old. Shams walks into the to, to Konya, and that's when his life gets right side up. So that's after his journey. So he's come back to Konya when Shamsa Tabriz. Yeah, so he goes to Damascus. He spent four years there. When some narration, uh, even longer, five years, some narration, up to seven years, he studied there. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a very interesting story that um, that is in the uh, about the, this this meeting. Because when Shams Tabriz comes in and meets Mawlana Rumi, which is really, uh, you know, Maraj al-Bahrain, they call it the meeting of the two oceans. He he comes in and he he changes his life. Um, he take, See, the, the thing with, with Mawlana Rumi, you have to, you have to know this, this, there's three knowledges. Knowledge is, is divided into three levels in Islam. So you have ilm al-yaqeen, knowledge of the book, right? You have ayn al-yaqeen, that knowledge being witnessed. Right to see the knowledge, right, and then you have haqqul yaqeen, which is called the experiential knowledge. So Mawlana Rumi, he learned this ilmul yaqeen from his father, from all these all these years that he was reading books and learning, right. But then when Muhaqqiq Tarmizi came in, he wanted to change that to ainul yaqeen to witness these, right. That's why he did all of these things with him in terms of teaching him one-on-one then sending him to Damascus to get to see these awliya, the master of grammar right there. He is the master of grammar and we'll go get it from him. He is the master of Quran, go get it from him. He is the master of Hadith, go get it from him. So he saw each individual master of each science and took it directly from them. When Shams comes in, he said, no, no, no. those are all still not real knowledge because if you don't experience it right so for example uh do you guys have afghani restaurant in 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 cape town probably don't no yeah no we don't so if i explain to you kabuli palau right say listen kabuli palau is an amazing food from afghanistan so it's rice and then we have raisins and carrots and and things all over it and there's lamb inside of it okay that 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 presents a good 
okay, that's how, that's what Kabuli Palau looks like, right? Okay, this is what it is. And, and you can read it. I can send you an article on it. You can read it. That's ilmul yaqeen. You know, it's true, right? You know how it's cooked. You know what, it, you know, all of it read it. But then you would, I'll send you a menu of a restaurant. Now you're seeing the, wow, this is good, right? Right? Or you go to a restaurant and then it's set up there. It's like, oh, that's Kabuli Palau. I heard about this thing. But it's different when you're eating it. That's Haqqul Yaqeen. You're experiencing this thing that you read and you saw. So what Shams told him, he said, all these things you read and you, you know, but if you don't experience it, right? You just have to, the mazza, the, the sweetness is not there. All mm. these talks is not going to remain because there's no, there, there's no experience in it. And Islam is an experiential religion. So that's what he does. And he brings him into this, uh, it brings him into, uh, you know, this, this uh, uh, experiential knowledge, haqqul yaqeen. And he transforms him from who he was before to who he became after. It's that it is that flip of right side up, and that's the source of the Divan Shamsi Tabriz. So the, the the books are divided. He has five books. Mawlana Rumi. The two, the three famous one is the Fihi Mafihi, and then the the Divan Shams Tabriz, and the most famous one is the Masnavi. Uh, the, all, all books are written by Mawlana Rumi, but they're inspired by Shamsi Tabriz, obviously, because he's the one who, inst who, who instilled that, that, you know, that experience in him. And through that experience, this word emerges out of Mawlana Rumi. So, uh, yeah, so Sham Diwana Shams is actually, a lot of people, they think it's written by Shamsi Tabriz. It's not, it's actually written by Rumi. It's dedicated to Shamsi Tabriz, a, a diwan dedicated to my sheikh, to my master, Shamsuddin Tabriz. So that's why it's called Diwan Shams. Uh, and and uh, so that's, you know, depending on which edition you get, about 40, 45,000 lines to up to like 50,000 lines of poetry dedicated to his teacher. What is a diwan? You know, the difference between a diwan and a masnavi is that. They're both a, a form of poetry. A masnavi is a form of poems that each line rhymes, but the entire poem doesn't rhyme. So, but each line has to rhyme <clears throat> by itself. Got it? So, for example, the masnavi of Rumi starts with Bishnava's nay chun hikoyad mi konad, as judoi ho shikoyad mi konad. You see, both the line ends the same. Now, the next line, it's not mikonad. It, it doesn't end up. Kaznaiston tomorrow bubri the and dar nafira mardozan noli the and. Got it? So each line rhymes by itself. As for the diwan, all of the line they have to rhyme. Oh, wow. That's okay. That's the difference. The diwan is harder to write than the masnavi. Masnavi is easier to write. Because you don't have to rhyme all of the words of, so if you have like 30 lines, all 30 lines has to end with the, like and or us or whatever word that the first line ends, they all have to end with the same, same uh, rhyme. Oh, that's the difference. Okay. So Diwan is always the rhyming. And that's why mostly for songs, they use the Diwan. 
because the song has to rhyme the whole song, right? Mm. They do it. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So it's just a form. It's, it's a form it's, of poetry, yeah. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. That's why you have Diwan Ghalib, right? You have a Diwan of Ghalib, the poem, the poet. Diwan Attar Nishapuri, right? Diwan uh, Hafiz Shirazi. You know, they all have their Diwan, you know, uh, which is a, the, that poetry style. Uh-huh. And you also have other Masnavis as well. Tons of Masnavi, but the, the, when you say the Masnavi, it's just everybody knows this. You're talking about Rumi. Yeah, which is mm-hmm. one of his, this one of his Karamat. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you were saying earlier, I mean, talking about the life of Rumi and the position that he was he was put in. And I mean, he was the head of Islamic knowledge for the, for the Muslim empire as far as it reached. And one of the lines I do know is, sell intelligence and buy bewilderment or buy wonder. And that was, that was, you know, as you were talking about that, that line just kept coming to me. Yeah. Do you know it in the Farsi? Yeah. Sell this Ziraki is, um, is actually, you know, the real meaning is there are people, the, the, the English translation is actually pretty decent. Um, but there are people who try to live a life of as a salesman, right? As a salesman, they say, like, "Hey, come on, this is good. Let's do this. I'm good." It's just like, you know, he's like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait! Don't be a salesman. Don't live your life as a salesman. Why don't you become bewildered?" And let everybody comes and bet for you. And they want to buy you instead of you selling yourself. Uh, Got it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Because we are all enamored with somebody's bewildered. What is he? Oh, look at him. Look at him. Instead of a salesman, hey, look at me. Look at me. I have this new vest. Look at me. Look at me. But then they will look at you. It's like, oh, oh, that's amazing. Look at this man. Right? Mm, okay that's the whole point is like you know Rumi always one of the things that he does is that know your value don't sell yourself cheap if you know your value he says that all of existence are your buyers but the greatest buyer of you is Allah because no one can outbid Allah Right. So don't try to be a salesman, try to sell yourself. Don't try to pull a fast one on people. Bewilderness, you know, Hairani is Hairan is a, is a station in spirituality where mm. you get this, this station of bewilderness. It's just kind of like, whoa, like you're, you know, like a lot of the, a lot of the people in the West, they trying to get to that station through drugs. So they do heroin and they do all these drugs because they want to experience that spirituality of Hairani, you know, this, 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 this station of bewilderness, where there's just like, whoa, like they just, 
you know, when when seeings and you know, uh, Rumi has this line in in, in the Muslim, he says, when hearing, talking, and seeing are mixed all in one. That's mm. wilderness, you know. Whenever it, it just you're just you're just enamored and mesmerized as Allah's creation, and and then everybody's mesmerized at you because you are mesmerized by Allah's creation. And that's when everybody comes to you and they'll say, whoa, look at this man, right? Ziraki bifrush wa hayrani bakhar. Sell your ziraki and purchase hayrani. You know, there's these two, there's two uh, stations. You know, one is the station of, of, of uh, uh, you know, one is the station of ego. The other one is the station of the ruh. Of the mm. spirit, yeah. mm. and then yeah, and, and bewilderment is this, is a state of a station. Yeah, yes, it's a station. Right. Of course, yeah. <laughs> There's another story again that came up when you were talking about how Rumi went to Damascus to learn from the the Sheikh of grammar, and I remember being told a story where. There were two men in a boat, and one was a grammarian, and he asked the other one, uh, "Do you uh, something about grammar?" And the man replies, "No, I don't know grammar." And he said, "Well, then you you've you've wasted half of your life." Yeah. And a storm a storm comes. Famous story, yeah. And the man asks the grammarian, he's like, do you know how to swim? Yeah. <laughs> and the grammarian says, no. And he said, well, then you've wasted all of your life. Yeah. And he jumps into the water and swims. Yeah. Is that, where is that from? That's in the Masnavi uh, of Rumi. You want me to read it for you? Oh, please. Uh, the story of grammarian and the sailor is, uh, I think a lot of people can benefit from it because... It's really about our lives, about human being. Uh, and, and Rumi is trying to teach us a really amazing lesson. Uh, uh, so Rumi says there was this grammarian, Nahwi, this person uh, who learned the Arabic grammar, uh, the book of Nahu, because you have Sarf and you have Nahu. Uh, so he, he, he only knew Nahu. Right, so he he comes on this boat, uh, um, and then he looks at this sailor who's who's uh, an army, an ordinary person, not a not a scholar, not a learned person, um, and he goes, "Do you know grammar? You know Nahu? Uh, any grammar? You know?" He said, "No, I I don't know any grammar." Gof as now hitch Johnny Gof law Gof Nima Umratu should darfana. He said. Do you, you don't know any grammar? He said, no. I said, well, what a waste. You have, ha you have wasted half of your life. Or another narration, So he says, Rumi says that at this point, the grammarian just broke the heart of the sailor. Mm. And this is the whole point of the story. Because a lot of people don't get this story. They think it's, it's uh, you know, because that, that part, 
that story is in other books as well. It's not just in Rumi. The the what you mentioned, that part of the story is is in, in, in quite a few books. A lot of people I thought has it in others. They have the story. But what Rumi does with the story, because a lot of the stories in the Masnavi is not original. But what he did, he took the story and then he did a 2.0 version of it. He just took it to another level. So Rumi said, the grammarian broke the heart of the sailor. But the secret of the sailor was that he didn't reply to him. He didn't say anything. Although his heart was broken. But here you have to understand, the sailor is a stronger man physically than the grammarian. Because the grammarian looks like this is a seeker of knowledge, but he's arrogant because he just have enough knowledge to hate. He doesn't have, he's not a scholar. He has a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of knowledge is very dangerous. So, but here the secret of the story is that he doesn't answer him, he leaves it to Allah. Even though he's humiliated in front of everybody. Do you know grammar? No. Oh, you don't know grammar? You wasted half of your life with so much arrogance. The heart of the sailor is broken. He's humiliated. But he doesn't reply. Doesn't say anything. Both kishtira And then God sees the heart of this man and sends this wind. And then the ship goes from the side to side. And is about to sink. Then he gets inspired to speak. And then he turns to the sailor and he says in a clear voice, Do you know how to swim, my friend? In a beautiful way. Now look how the tide turns, right? Pun intended. And the, the say the grammarian says, oh no, my handsome uh, sailor friend. Now he became handsome. At the beginning, he looked down at him. He put him down, he humiliated him. Now, oh my handsome and, and, and uh, eloquent friend, eloquent friend. I don't know how to swim, right? Allah changed the situation. Because whoever becomes arrogant, Allah will break their back. And whoever humbles themselves, Allah will elevate them. This is the nature of the, the, the sunnah of Allah. That's how it works. Mm. He said, no, I don't know. He said, oh, my grammarian friend, I think you have wasted all your life. Because this boat is about to sink in this ocean. Now, this is what we call ilm al-yaqeen. So that the, the, the story starts with ilm al-yaqeen, that there's a grammarian and a sailor, right? That's the story that comes in. And then it becomes ayn al-yaqeen, when the storm comes, right? That's ayn al-yaqeen. He sees the storm. No, oh, I don't know grammar. Oh my God, this, right? This boat is about to sink. Now, Rumi takes it to another level, to haq al-yaqeen. And he says, He said, you don't need grammar, my friend. You need annihilation. Mm. You don't need grammar. What is annihilation? Annihilation here is trust in God. Tawakkaltu ala Allah. 
got to mahwi be khatar dar abran and if you become annihilated dive into the water without any fear abe darya mordar bar sar zanad war bu az zandaz darya because the nature of the ocean is that it sucks you down if you're alive until it kills you that's the nature of the ocean if you fall into it and you're alive it will suck you down until it kills you but if you're dead it will honor you and bring you up to the surface chun ramurdi to the ausaf bashar bahr asrar az zanad bar farq asar And Rumi comes into the story now and he says, oh, my friend, if you die from these human qualities that drowns you in the ocean of your own regret, it is then that the ocean of your mysteries will elevate you and carry you on its head. And this is why when we take the dead, we carry them on our shoulders. We elevate them. because it's their mysteries that comes out right and that's what the, the ocean does when you die it brings you up to the surface all of the dead comes to the surface as a as as a sign of honor for the dead right so this is why said no umar said mutu qabla an tamutu right it's a narrated hadith but saying of the the sayna uh, umar as well that die before you die die from human qualities right die from these human qualities like arrogance and like uh, you know we have kibar and hasad and envy and all of these these diseases that drowns us and then rumi says he ends this poem uh, with a couple of lines he said ek khalqan ra tu khar mi khandi he says to the grammarian he gives an advice to all those people who have enough knowledge to hate he said oh advice for all of you guys who you thought that everyone in the creation was like a donkey because you knew a little bit of knowledge in zaman chun khar dar yakh mondi how god had made you like, like a donkey yourself that is stuck on ice which is like a really an amazing metaphor because when a donkey if, if you know if, if a donkey is stuck on ice it's helpless and it's funny and it's ugly they can't move and if they move they so he's saying that's what's going to happen to you if you call people donkey because they don't know allah will make you a donkey on eyes to make you even worse than a donkey and then he mm. ends it it says mard nahwi ra azan dar dukhtim ta shama ra nahwa mahwa mukhtim he said remember i told you the story of the grammarian and the sailor in order to show you the grammar of the heart the grammar of the heart my friend because you could be eloquent but your heart could be ugly mm. but if the heart is in the right place it doesn't matter what comes from it because the, allah is not looking for grammar mm. he's looking for the grammar of the hearts that the, that the, the heart is pure and is speaking to him mm. and the heart is an ocean The heart is an ocean, of course. Yeah, yeah. and you're diving into that ocean. <laughs> you have to dive into that ocean. Yeah, Allah. yeah, beautiful. There's one more thing that I, I really want to ask you because it's it changed my life hearing this line, and 
I want to get your thoughts on it or, or your commentary on it, which is that a student of Rumi came to him and asked him, what is fear? And he replied, non-acceptance of uncertainty. If you accept uncertainty, it becomes adventure. And I remember someone telling me that maybe 15 or 10 years ago. And it's just one of those things that whenever I'm afraid, that line comes to comes to me. Do you know about it? Yeah, you know, that's, you know, straightforward. I think that, you know, you know, one, one of the things that people fear death, uh, those people who fear death is because of the uncertainty, because they don't know what happens next. But if you know what happens next, you don't have any fear. Like that's how you remove the anxiety of death. If you know the journey, that is a beautiful journey post life. And, and we all have to get ready for it and go through that. And it's not a dark journey. It's not an ugly journey. It's a journey to the Lord of power. So a lot of the stuff that we fear is because it's the unknown. And that's why the religion is about ikra, about reading and learning. So there's, you, you're not in the dark. You know, the more, when you know knowledge, you know, in our tradition is light and light removes darkness and people have fear of darkness. And, and that's the nature of human being. If, you, if, if the light goes out at the middle of the night and you're sitting there, and even though there are other people in the home, everybody kind of like gets frantic for a moment. It's like, oh my God, it's so dark because it's just, we have, it's unknown. Like, okay, what's going to happen? So, but when you understand something and when you learn about it, it's like turning on the lights and seeing things, you know, and then the journey of life, the journey to the hereafter, the, all of that would make sense. Uh, and, and that's what he's talking about. It's just, if you don't, if you don't, uh, uh, if you don't know, it's just, it's, yeah, it is, it is, it is fearful. Right. But if you know, it's, uh, there's no fear because, you know, lovers, they don't fear. The, you know, that's that's one of the, if, if a lover is scared, that's not a lover. They don't fear. You have to be a lion to fall in love. And that that's the station that they're trying to get you to make you a lion of God, that you fall in love with Allah and you're like a lion. And, you know, you're a sultan of the jungle. If you fear, how are you going to, you know, Saadi said, how are you going to, how are you going to uh, go to the bottom of the ocean, you know, he said, Tarkilulu, not the one go of Kedario Khataras. He said, How could you abandon the Lulu from the bottom of the ocean because of the fear of the ocean? Come on. <laughs> like, you know, I said, lovers don't fear no ocean because if you want the pearl, you would dive in. You do the deep, deep uh, sea diving and you will go get the, the Lulu. But that's the that's the, the, the sad thing about the, the people who are not in love. They are the one who fear. But if you're in love, there's no fear with lovers. Oh, you just reminded, I was listening to a Koali uh, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the lines is, not every diver that dives into the ocean comes out with the pearl of knowledge. Yeah, because they're not deep, deep sea divers. They are they're <laughs> surface divers. They still have fear. Mm. The fearless mm. one are the one, the people who, who have no fear, not the fearless. Fearless is not a good translation, but the people who have no fear because... They don't, they, they're not afraid. They're not cowards because shuja'a is, is a moral virtue in Islam. You know, that the bravery is a moral virtue. So you got to be brave when it comes to love and you can't, you can't be afraid. And if you don't have the heart of the, the Persian, they say, if you don't have the heart of the lion, 
don't fall in love. Oh, I'll say that, say that. In the, in yeah, if you don't have the heart of the lion, don't fall in love. If you don't have the heart oh. of the lion, don't fall in love. Oh, I'm going to memorize yeah. that. Inshallah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the New Nomos podcast. Dile Sheh Nadari Safare Ishk Nakon. That's my main takeaway from this episode. Have a blessed Ramadan. Ramadan Kareem. Thank you.